Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. from Sunday night, um, Orange County Young People's Meeting in Warwick, New York. And uh, with that, we're going to do step nine tonight. I'll bring up Kathleen. Hi, everyone. I'm Kathleen. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, it's great to be here. I want to thank the group for having me. Um, I usually don't get too nervous before I speak, but I do feel a little bit of butterflies in my stomach. Um, I would like to briefly qualify. My sobriety date is May 14th, 1987, and for that I'm truly grateful. I have a home group, the Orange County Young People's Group in Warwick, New York. We meet on Sunday nights. Uh, We have a 6 p.m. big book meeting, and we have a 7.30 p.m. open speaker meeting, or closed speaker discussion meeting. Sorry about that. And uh, if you're ever up up in Warwick, it's an excellent meeting. It's a very um, old-time, good, hardcore AA meeting. Um, I have a sponsor, and she has a sponsor and a grand sponsor. I have a lot of support uh, of the women and the men in this program. Um, You know, I got sober at a very young age, and I really, really struggled for a while. and it was really through the grace of God and the fellowship that I came to uh, have in my life that really pulled me out on the other side. Um, <clears throat> I do a lot of service work. I'm involved in my home group. I have a, uh, I chair the big book meeting, and um, I am going to soon be making coffee for that group. I am involved in a retreat. Uh, for women called Keeping the Spirit Alive, and um, I've been involved in that retreat for about 11 or 12 years, and that's been very, very uh, influential in my life. Uh, That has really given me a lot of close relationships with women and men um, through service. Uh, I sponsor uh, one woman. Um, I also do service at home. I have three children. I have a husband who's sober. And uh, so AA is really our life. It really, really is. AA is a family affair, and it's really ingrained in our life. Um, To briefly qualify, I had my first drink when I was eight years old, and I grew up in an alcoholic home in um, Whippany, New Jersey, uh, up in Morris County. And uh, my dad was the active alcoholic. And from the first time that I took that drink, I felt that warmth that I was really looking for. And the big payoff for that first drink was just the calming of my mind. Uh, my thoughts, I, was, I always had a lot of racing thoughts and a lot of negative thoughts. And having that very first drink, even though it wasn't a lot, calmed that down. And for the next um, 13 years, till I was 21, I was really looking for that uh, and and could never fully find it. Um, I had to drink more and more in order to keep my mind calm and to keep the the bad feelings I'd had about myself at bay. Uh, And they weren't always at bay. I was a very depressive type of person. I was not a happy drunk. I was either... Uh, crying on the curb or suicidal. Uh, I never had an in-between. Um, and, it, you know, it's really a miracle that I'm sharing on step nine because my mother always said that I was the one person that set the tone of the house. 
okay? But I could never admit that. I could never admit that I had any fault. I always had this, like, permanent halo uh, over my head, and I really felt like I could do no wrong. Um, and that could not have been further from the truth. Um, my siblings looked up to me, and that really wasn't always a good thing because I didn't have the skills, I didn't have the um, confidence in myself that was required of the oldest child. Um, so I was a poor example. Uh, did not do well in school and was always very busy pointing the finger at everyone else and never taking responsibility myself. And um, really for me, step nine epitomizes that. Step nine for me epitomizes the fact that I need to take responsibility for my life. I need to admit the, uh, the harm that I had caused to others and make right those wrongs. The only way that I could do that was to take an honest appraisal of my life when I first came into the room. I was able to work steps one through eight uh, in, in such a way that I found relief, um, but not the relief that really a lot of people find. I did not work the steps according to the big book at first. And so um, for, for quite a few years, I still had that depressive uh, mood about me. And um, when I finally was able to dive into the big book, and that came at around... 13 years of sobriety, 14 years of sobriety, um, I finally was able to face the truth and I finally was able to start feeling some relief from what was going on in between my head. Um, with that, I, you know, I'm really, I'm really, really happy. One, one last thing that I wanted to share was how I came into the program. I had never heard of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was working at a bank in Cedar Knolls, and right across the street from the bank was uh, the local church, Roman Catholic Church. And every day this big tall priest would come in, and he could obviously see the state that I was in. I was not in uh, a good, good way about me. And uh, he started talking to me, and for the next two years he proceeded to ask me if I wanted to go on um, a Catholic retreat called an Antioch retreat. And for two years, I told him no. And then one day, he came in, and it was, he probably came in during, like, the middle of the week, and he told me, God bless you, that, Kathleen, we're having a retreat right at, right at, the, at Notre Dame across the street. Would you like to come? And I said yes. Okay? And that was really the beginning of the end. At that retreat, I met two brothers, and those two brothers, I did not know, were in Alcoholics Anonymous. And about six months after I met them, they brought me to my very first meeting, and that was at St. Peter's Church in Morristown. Big, massive meeting. Um, I didn't know I was going to a meeting, so I went to that meeting drunk. And I proceeded to go to the next two meetings drunk. Um, and I can't remember the second meeting that I went to, but the third meeting that I went to was a Sunday night meeting in Livingston. And I went to that meeting drunk. And then they took me aside and they said, Kathleen, why don't you, you know, try coming to a meeting sober? And I said, I said, okay. You know, I really didn't think I'd have a problem doing that. Um, but I was wrong. Okay. I really, really struggled with... Uh, staying sober and really admitting that I was an alcoholic. I really felt that I could control my drinking. You know, I, I was 21 years of age and I had only been legal to drink for like four months. And so I really had never taken a legal drink uh, except for the last four months. And um, I found myself in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on St. Patrick's Day. And I don't know if anyone's familiar with... with um, with Whippany, but there's a bar called Molly Malone's, and I happen to be Irish, and it was always my dream to always go to Molly Malone's on St. Patrick's Day, and instead I was in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Um, I did have one relapse at 59 days, and uh, I've been sober ever since. Um, the, what I wanted to share about the ninth step was how 
I had to take a look at my life and how I had to take a look at the harm that I had caused others. And at first I was not able to do that. Um, my ego really, really was in the way because I was busy pointing the finger at you. My motto was anything worth having isn't worth working hard for and why is this always happening to me? So instead of taking a look at myself, I was always pointing the finger at everyone else. When I was finally able to do an honest fourth step and take a look at my defects and my resentments and fears and my harms done, I could really, really get with this step. And that took a couple years. Um, when, I, when I shared my fifth step with my sponsor, the main theme of that step was I want what I want when I want it and I don't care what I have to go through in order to get it. And I don't care who I have to step on in order to get what I want. I'm going to do it, okay? And I'm just going to plow you down. And that was really my attitude in life. Um, and, and I didn't really care who I hurt, okay? So... Needless to say, once I got through step six and seven and I could see my defects and I started making my list, it was a rather long list. Um, I had one financial amends to make and that was because I had stolen some money from a job that I had had. Uh, unfortunately, that job had closed up and was no longer in existence, so I was able to make financial amends to some, by placing a donation uh, to someone who needed it. And that really was freeing. Um, some of the other amends that I really needed to make were to my family. Um, because of the fact that I had started drinking at such a young age, I really didn't have a lot of social or emotional skills in life. And so one of the major amends that I had to make was to my mom. Okay. I had been in a car accident shortly before I got sober, and I had had some stuff fall out of my pocketbook, okay? The police never found that, that stuff that shouldn't have been in my pocketbook, and it had scattered all over my car floor. Uh, the, the accident was not my fault. Someone had run a red light, and fortunately, I was not under the influence of anything at that time. So the police did not search my car. The next day, I knew that there was stuff on my passenger floor that I needed to get out of the car. And my mom and dad wanted to come with me to see my car. It was at a local gas station. And I said no. You know, I said no because I knew what was in the car. And we had a major fight. During the course of that fight, I bit my mother in the hand right here. Okay, I bit her severely enough to where she had to go to the hospital and get a tetanus shot. Okay, because that's the type of person that I was. If you weren't going to do things my way, I was going to make it so unbearable for you that I'm going to bite you. Okay, I'm getting. I know that might sound like, <laughs> you know, that might sound really, really bad, but that's how I was. You know, I was a tough kid. Uh, mind you, I, you know, I started getting detention in school in second grade. So I was a tough kid, okay? And no one was going to mess with me. So I bit my mother, and I proceeded to walk to the gas station so that I could see my car and get my stuff out, okay? About 18 years go by, because that happened, that happened when I was younger, and... Uh, 18 years go by, and I finally, I'm sorry, 13 years go by, and I finally make amends to my mother for all the harm that I had caused, and especially for that incident, for me biting her. And I'll tell you, I can't tell you the freedom that that gave me, because even with that amends, my mom talked about that until I was sober for about 18 years. So I can't imagine if I had not made amends, she probably would have never gotten over that. Okay? I mean, what was I thinking? Uh, you know, who was I to, to do that to the, to the woman that gave birth to me? Who was I to do that to the, to the person who loved me most on this, on this earth? 
Okay? I still feel bad about it. But you know what? Making amends was not just me telling her, I'm sorry for what I did. How can I write that wrong? It was also about staying sober and being a good daughter and stepping up to the plate and doing what I need to do in order to be that daughter and that woman of love and, and sympathy and compassion. And that's what it was about also. It wasn't just about me getting together with my mom and saying, I'm really sorry for all the harm that I caused you. It was, a, it was about following up with the action too. Because without that action, what's an apology? How many times did I make an apology in my life? How many times did I say, you know, I'm sorry for, for everything that I did and not mean it, you know? So I need to follow up these amends with action. Um, in my big book, I have highlighted the ninth step prayer, okay? And... It, it leads into a section of the book that I would really like to talk about, and that's on page 83. The ninth step prayer says, So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our Creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. And I say that prayer every day, okay? And it's really, really important. The next paragraph talks about a spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Okay, And what that means is unless I am in tune to my higher power, I am not going to be able to lead a spiritual life. Unless I have that connection of um, body, mind, and spirit, I'm not going to know what God wants of me for that day. And so without that connection, I'm probably apt to expand my ninth, my eighth step list, okay, which is something that I really don't want to do, you know. I don't want to make my eighth step list longer so that I have to make more amends. i rather try and stay on the AA beam and really lead a spiritual way of life, okay. It goes on to say that unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought to not urge them. And that was something, that was a lesson that I really needed to learn early in, in my sobriety. Once I got sober, I really expected, you know, everyone to follow suit. You know, I expected my dad to get sober. Well, he didn't. He didn't get sober. I have 24 years. My dad has about 19 years, so he didn't get sober right away. Um, my brother didn't get sober. He, he still drinks, and he may not need to be sober. I, I don't know. That's really not for me. But... You know, they don't have the spiritual beliefs that I have. And, and that really doesn't matter to me. As long as I am connected to my higher power in a way that is um, in line with how I should get through the day, then I am okay. Okay? It says in the book that they will change in time. Our behavior will convince them more than our words. Okay, and that was very important to me because when I got sober, being the oldest child, I really, really tried to step up to the plate. And one of the ways that I tried to do that is my mom had back surgery after I had uh, a year of sobriety. And being the oldest child, you know, there were a couple of my siblings couldn't even drive yet. So it was up to me to run the house while she recovered. And I was able to do that. I was able to go grocery shopping every week and go and visit her in the hospital um, every day and, and, you know, console her and really try and help her. And if, if I had not embarked on this spiritual journey, I would not have been able to do that. Had I not gotten sober, I would not have been able to do that. Okay? We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone, okay? And that was very, very true for me. I didn't tell my family that I was sober and going to meetings for a couple weeks. And I actually had a reservation because I had a six-pack of beer in the back of my closet, or at least I thought I did, but I must have mentioned it to someone because when I felt like relapsing, I went to go and look for the six-pack, and it was gone. Um, and I was really upset. But you know what? It gave me that temporary reprieve that I needed in order to stay sober. Okay? Um, it also goes on to say that 
We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. And that is especially true for me because um, making amends is not about you know beating myself up. It's about righting a wrong. And it's about saying to that person, I am really sorry that I hurt you. How can I make this up to you? And is there anything that you need to tell me? Have I left anything out? And when I said that to each and every time, you can be assured that that person had quite a bit to say. Okay? They really, really um, were vocal about what I had done and the things that I needed to remember because I didn't always remember everything that I had done to people because I was a blackout drinker. Um, in our guide, it talks about the step nine problem of being my ego. And working step nine is an ego deflation for me because it allows me to sit face to face with a person and admit the wrong that I had done to them and then to listen and to really focus on the harm that I caused to them, not just the harm that I was aware of, but also the harm that they are, you know, conveying to me. Um, the solution to that would be to convey kindness, tolerance, and love towards not only that other person, but towards myself. Um, there were a few, um, there were a few amends that I thought I needed to make, and I didn't. And that was especially. Um, helpful because um, the only way that I really knew that was through the work with, uh, with, a, with a sponsor. And she really helped me with that. I really thought that the amends that I need to make to my friend, uh, because we had lost touch and I wasn't able to go to her wedding and maybe I didn't reply to her um, invitation to her bridal shower, totally appropriate. I really thought that I needed to make amends to her. And, and that really wasn't the truth. The reason we hadn't gotten together lately and the reason that I wasn't able to go to her bridal shower was because of, of life, life circumstances. And so when I discovered that, I gave her a call. And this just happened a couple weeks ago. And it took her a couple days to call me back. And when she called me back, she left me a message and she was so happy to hear from me. So the whole buildup in my head that I experienced with, oh, my God, she hates me. You guys know the drill. You know, I'm sure you've thought those same thoughts a thousand times. Um, wasn't anything that had to do with reality, okay? She was very, very happy to hear from me. She wants to get together. She just had a baby. Her dad just had a stroke. So... I can be there for her, too, even though we haven't seen each other in a while. Um, and, and that really, really helped me because it allowed me to be human. It allowed me to say, I don't always know what's best for me. I don't always know who I should make amends to and who I shouldn't make amends to. Some people, like my mom, were totally glaring, obviously. My mom, my dad, my siblings they were the ones that were most affected by my drinking and my, my bad behavior. Um, so yes, I had to make amends to them right away. Um, other people, it wasn't, so, it wasn't so obvious. One of those people was my sister-in-law. Now, the, the situation that I had with my sister-in-law was I said something that was in my mind that I wanted to say that I shouldn't have said, and I said it on an answering machine, okay? My sister-in-law was, was uh, pregnant at the time, and I just unloaded on the answering machine. And, um, you know, it's, it's that situation where, God, I'm going to say what I want to say, and I don't care. And then I hung up, and I thought of more stuff to say, so I called her back, okay? I do not recommend that, okay? I don't. I don't recommend that. That was a long time ago. That was probably about 14 or 15 years ago. Thought I made amends. Didn't want to make amends because everything that I said on that answering machine, I meant, okay? 
Well, so what? So what if I meant it? That doesn't mean I have to say it. That doesn't mean that I have to be a, a brute. Um, there's a certain way to say something and a certain way to not say something. And saying something on an answering machine is not the way to say it, okay? Because you can keep that forever, okay? And I'm sure she kept it for a while. She even played it back to me. Oh, my God, that was awful. But you know what? That was... That was where I was at. You know what? I wasn't a very nice person. And, you know, that's not who I am today. Um, That is definitely not who I am today. But that was the sober me for a while. That's who I was for a while in sobriety. And, you know, just because I got sober doesn't mean that I got nice. I certainly didn't, not for a while. Um, So what happened was, over the course of some years... Um, she, my, because of what I did, my sister-in-law had a very, very difficult delivery of my nephew, and um, he he um, came out not too great. And uh, I really, really thought, oh my God, it was was that my fault? And it wasn't. It was okay, but you know that stress that I put in in that situation while she was like eight months pregnant was just not the right thing to do. And I needed to make amends. And my, at my brother's urging, I, you know, kind of apologized, okay? And then, you know, she, she I, I didn't make amends at that time. So he, a few months went by, and he talked to me again, please, Kathleen, just, you know, apologize to Kathy, you know? And uh, I, I did another half-ass apology. I just couldn't bring myself because... In my mind, I was right, okay? In my mind, the harm that she caused me was greater than the harm that I caused her. Well, my mind is screwed up, you know? I've been sharing lately that my mind is the type of mind that one minute I'll be behind the wheel and I'll be, you know, happy, joyous, and free, and then the next I'll feel like ramming the person from behind because they're not doing exactly what I want them to do. That is my mind, okay? And now that I'm sober long enough, I know that's how my mind is. So before, I didn't. So my mind is screwed up. So what makes me think that the way that I'm making amends, which isn't how the book tells me to make amends, is the way that I'm supposed to be doing it. So finally, a third time, I called her up, and I had a long talk with her, and I made amends correctly because she uh, she lived far away and I made amends to her that day on the phone and then I made amends to her when I saw her and and I know Karen doesn't recommend making amends on the phone so when I did that I made sure I followed it up with a face-to-face okay but had I not talked to her on the phone first I wouldn't have even been able to see her she would not have wanted to see me so me making amends on the phone was the right thing to do at that time. Some years later now, I have followed it up with those actions that I I find are so important in terms of making amends and just being of service to my brother and my sister-in-law and my niece and my nephew or my sister or whoever in my family and just thinking about them instead of thinking about myself and you know, having them over for Christmas breakfast and, you know, giving them a nice gift without expecting anything in return. And through many years of that, of, of just being very gentle with that relationship and being ever mindful that these people are important to me, it has mended. Never thought it would. I never thought my sister-in-law would tell me that she loved me, and she does. And when I go through a hard time, She's one of the first ones to call me. So this step works, okay? One of the other things that I wanted to talk about was how much fear and anxiety I had concerning this step before I got to this step, before I peeled away the onion, before I did my fourth step and my fifth step, and then really discovered my defects and my shortcomings and really, really dove into step eight, I had a lot of fear concerning this step. I, you know, I hemmed and hawed about it. I didn't want to make amends to people because I was really afraid of how they were going to react. You know, I was not a nice kid. 
I was not a nice young adult. I was not a nice adult. And I did a lot of harm. And, you know, what I've shared with you concerning my mother and my sister-in-law, that is what I, that's what I got. That's what I got out of life. Another amends, the, actually the last amends that I just made, which was last year, was to a good friend of mine. And it was some that, someone that I knew in recovery, and I brought her to like her first meeting. I was a couple years sober, and we were the best of friends. And um, over the course of time, I moved to Texas for a year and um, went to Texas Tech. And when I went to Texas Tech, I um, got pregnant, okay? I came home, I decided to not have the baby. And when I made that decision, that was a decision that I really struggled with. And that was a decision that I could not share with you for a very long time uh, because there was a lot of shame there. Um, It was a no-win situation. And so when I decided to not have the baby... Shortly after that, my two closest friends, Vicki and Colleen, were uh, pushed away from my life. I got them on the phone and I said to them, I can't be friends with you anymore. I I am in so much emotional and spiritual pain that I have nothing to give to you anymore and I don't want to see you or talk to you ever again. And this is pretty much how I dealt with, with, uh, with... the losses of my relationships. I was in so much emotional pain from that decision that I had nothing to give to anyone, let alone myself. Little did I know that that decision, although it wasn't an easy decision, it was, it was a decision that actually altered the course of my life to what it is today. And I I wouldn't have known that. Um, But I really needed to uh, make amends to Vicki for that because she was my best friend. She didn't know what happened. She didn't know that I had um, what was going on in my life. All she knew was that I was emotionally spent and that the way I left our relationship was probably not the best. Fortunately, you know... My friends today would never, they, they, would, they would laugh at me if I ever said anything like that to them. You know, they'd say, oh, Kathleen, what are you talking about? You know, we're, we're not going to let you be or, you know, something like that, whatever, whatever they would say. So I really owed Vicki an amends, okay? Lost touch with Vicki, didn't know where she was, never saw her again. And through the course of God, but I was always willing to make that amends. Through the course of my recovery, God put someone in my life who knew Vicki. Vicki owns a business in in Rockaway. That business is now instrumental in my recovery. And uh, last year I was able to make amends to Vicki face-to-face. And now I see Vicki all the time. I didn't see her for like 20 years, and now I see her all the time. So that, making that face-to-face amends mended that relationship. And really, really, you know, I don't have the day-to-day contact with Vicki. I, I, I see her, you know, every couple weeks. But we have that love for one another that was always there, you know. And had I not making, made that amends, I would have lost that. I would have never known that that love was still there. I would not have been able to know that. Um, the book really goes into a lot of detail about how we're supposed to make amends and how um, making amends changes our life. And, you know, the changes that occur in our life are the promises that are read at every meeting. Um, and I would just like to read them. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. 
Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. I can attest to you guys that these promises are coming true in my life every day. Okay, each and every one of them. The, the amount of um, serenity that I feel having completed step nine is something that I had never felt before. I just have a peace within me from, from my higher power that everything is going to be okay. And that peace does not leave me. I may get fearful once in a while about a, a life situation, but it quickly passes. Um, I, I have a love of the program, and, and I really believe that it, it is because of step nine. Because I have cleared away the wreckage of my past, I've been able to not feel ashamed about any of my relationships at all because they are on a spiritual plane. And I have amended um, the harms that I had done to people. One of the biggest amends that I ever had to make was to my husband. A couple of years ago, my husband and I had some marital problems. And those problems were not just his fault. Those problems were also my fault. They, we, we, were bringing, we brought two broken people into a marriage. And through the course of this fellowship, those two people, myself and my husband, have been repaired. Um, when I made amends to my husband for the harms that I had done, I did that face-to-face, and I did it in a way that I was able to admit every wrong that I had done that led to almost the demise of our marriage. Um, It wasn't about what I thought he did to me or the fights that we had gotten into or you know, how I felt that he treated me or what I felt that he did to the kids that caused a fight or, you know, how much money we had in the checking account or what bill was late or anything like that. It had to do with how I treated him in our marriage and what led to the situation of where we were at at that time. And what led to that was my emotional inability to express how I feel about the people that I love. And after I went through that situation with my husband, who's a a really good guy, um, I made a decision to let people know exactly how I feel about them when I feel it, okay, and not just think it in my head. Um, I, you know, because of my upbringing, I was never a very touchy-feely person, although I had, like, everyone in my life is very touchy-feely, um, so I had that in my life, but I could never initiate it. After I, after the discovery of the wrong that I had done, I was able to make a decision with, with the help of my higher power that when I was thinking about a person, whether I was going to see them or call them on the phone, I was going to act upon that. If I saw someone that I, you know, I loved, I was going to hug them and tell them that I loved them. That, and that's just being mindful of the relationships that I have in my life. I had never really been able to do that before because I was damaged. Working step nine cured that. Working step nine really was able to help me see how much people meant to me, really was able to help me see how much I meant to people. Because before that, you know, people were mad at me for everything that I had done because I caused a lot of wreckage. Um, Mending those ways was, was very, very beneficial. One of the people that I was able to do that with was with with my sister. My sister's 13 months younger than me. My sister's not an alcoholic. My sister's very successful, you know, has, 
has three nice kids, you know, and she chose to focus on her career instead of, you know, her family at first. So my oldest child, even though my sister and I are only 13 months younger, my oldest child's 17, her oldest child is six, okay? So, oh, thank God I don't have a six-year-old anymore. Oh, my God. I am so grateful for that because that is rough. (laughs) But... What I was, you know, I was really like nervous because my sister views people successfully by how well they're doing in life physically. Okay, so when I made amends to my sister, it was, you know, we had a, I had called her and said, you know, I'd like to have dinner with you. I'd like to talk to you, and um, I kind of put my sister through a lot of crap because her and I hung out together. She was not an alcoholic. I was. I am, and um, so, you know, I I think I kind of marred her. We got very good at rolling the car, my dad's stick shift car, down the driveway and down the street so that we were home by curfew, but we could go back out, okay? That's the type of stuff that we did, and um, I just caused a lot of grief in her life, and and I, you know, never said I was sorry for it because I just felt like I was entitled to do that. You know, I'm the oldest sister. You're going to listen to me. I'm going to boss you around and you're going to like it. You know, well, she didn't. So I really needed to amend that relationship. And this step helped me do that. This step helped me say, I am so sorry for what I did, for all the havoc that I caused in your life. How can I write that wrong? And she told me, she said, Kathleen, I'm so proud of you that you've been able to stay sober, that you've been able to have, you know, three nice children, that you've been able to, you know, mend this. And we had a dialogue. And had I not opened that door, you know, we probably would not have the relationship that we have today. Okay, I love my sister with all my heart. She's my one and only sister. And, um, yeah, I might complain about her. I might say that she's a pain in the neck or that, you know, she never calls me. But I can call her. You know, it's not about keeping score. It's not about saying, you know, who did what last. That's, that's not what it's about. This step is about mending a right or mending a wrong. Sorry about that. Um, in our workbook, um, it goes through a a, uh, a prayer, and then it you know it it talks about how the step nine principle is all about forgiveness, and it's not just about me forgiving others. It's not about them forgiving me. It's about opening that door to a a relationship, and it's about me forgiving people for being human. And it's about asking for the forgiveness that I need in my life. You know, Um, that's not a totally easy thing for me to admit, that I need forgiveness from people, but I do. Okay? And by me opening that door and by me initiating a dialogue with the people that I had harmed, it opens, it, it opens the dialogue for forgiveness. Um, and, and it also opens the door for, for me to forgive myself because I'm the type of person that really would always wear the weight of the world on her shoulders. I was always the worrier. I was a silent, the silent worrier. Um, I was also filled with a lot of silent scorn. So if I felt that you did me harm, I wasn't going to talk to you for a week. And I had really no problem doing that. So within my household, I had to make amends for that because that was a huge major defect of character. When my friends found out that I would do that to one of my kids because they made me mad, they, they, you can imagine, really like reamed me out (laughs) for that. They were not too happy. They'd say... You know, you, you can't do that to your kids. You, you have to talk to them. You can walk away. You can say to them, I can't talk to, about this right now. I need to step away because I'm too upset or you're too upset. But we will get back when we, we've each calmed down. We'll get back and we'll talk about it. And that's what I started doing. 
And you know what? Sometimes I still want to have that silent scorn. And so that's something that I need to be mindful of because I don't want to add to my eight-step list, you know? Okay, uh, some of the practices that I need to uh, incorporate into my life are doing no verbal harm to another person. And that means no lashing out, and that means that I need to shut my mouth. And let me tell you, that is not easy for me. I need to zip it, okay? And I do that. I, like, I do the zip it thing because that's what I need to do because I always like to get the last word in. You know, I do. That's just how I am. I, you know, I probably would have been a, a, a good attorney for that, but, you know, I know one attorney who I really like, but all the rest I don't. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, I need to make a daily commitment to this to this step, okay? And what that means is that as long as I have people on my list, I need to be entirely willing to make those amends. Um, but being entirely mil- uh, willing to make those amends, when those amends are meant to be made, God will put those people in my life. And that has certainly been true. good example was with Vicki. Um, I was always willing to make amends to Vicki, and then when the time was right, God put her in my life. Criticism is not loving. Refrain from it. Okay, I am like the world's best critic. Okay, I can criticize myself equally as well as I can criticize you guys. And you know, just just ask my family members. They at times feel like they can never do anything right. Um, as a matter of fact, when I first got married and when I first had children, I was so uptight about that stuff that no one could open like a bag of potato chips without a scissor. Okay, they couldn't open a letter without a letter opener. They couldn't, you know, open a box of cereal and have the slightest little tear in it without me going into like a a, a tailspin. You know, I mean, who wants to live like that? That takes way too much energy, way too much time. And I would rather be happy, joyous and free and spending spending peaceful time with my family than causing a big uprising because you open the bag of potato chips upside down. You know what I mean? So that's where I was at with this step, okay? Do no physical harm. And what that means is that no more biting, you know? I can't bite my mother. I can't bite my kids. I can't bite my, my sister or my, you know, my friends just to get my own way. Can't do that. Can't harm myself because I feel like, because I feel poor about myself. I can't do that, okay? Choose always to be helpful, never hurtful. And what that means to me is that there are some people in my life who, yes, although I'm able to see the God in everyone that I meet, sometimes I don't like seeing God in everyone I meet, okay? So that that suggestion to always be helpful has really changed my life. And what it's done is it has made me selfless, okay? Instead of always thinking of myself, I still think of myself a lot. By working this step, I am able to think of others. And that's because I really think that I'm not like, um, I'm not, you know, worn down with, with, all these unhealthy relationships in my life, I'm able to really say to God, where do you need me today? Please help me to do your will. And that's what God wants me to do. God wants me to be helpful to people. You know, my sponsee, she called me on Friday. Now, I'm a huge sports fan. My sponsee called me on Friday. She said, can we go to a meeting and finish the first step? And, you know, the devils were playing their first um preseason game and the Yankees were were playing that night and I really didn't feel like going out but you know what being helpful to others is what I need to do so I was able to go to the meeting with her and I was able we were able to finish her first step and now we can move on to the second you know being a sponsor being of service isn't doing it when I want to do it because Frankly, that would be never. Um, It's doing it when I need to do it. You know, it's doing it when I'm called upon to do it. 
you know, I know you guys, I don't know if you've gotten the impression that I love being sober. And now I, I didn't always like doing what I had to do to be sober. I, I, for a long time I didn't like it. But now I don't mind it. Now I don't mind it so much because it's really not a big effort. I don't always have to give a big effort. Sometimes all it is is just showing up and just smiling at a person. And, you know, before I worked this step, I really didn't feel like smiling a heck of a lot of the time. Okay? One uh, second to last suggestion is no action, either harmful or helpful, is not without effect. And what that means is that we have a powerful presence in other people's lives and in our own lives. And I really need to be mindful of that because when I am, when I am interacting with someone, I really need to be aware of how I'm doing that because I don't want to come off too strong. I don't want to come off meek. I want to come off like myself. And... Not working this step is going to keep me from that. Not working this step is going to keep me weighed down with just um, worry and anguish and anger and resentment and just all those things. Working this step frees me of all those things. So, you know, it's, it's really, really wonderful. The last suggestion, the only one that I highlighted, was... Give up arguing one argument at a time. You guys know, just from the little bit that I told you, that that is not easy for me to do, okay? I I think I was, like, born arguing. I would argue, um, I saw the mosquito land on you. No, you didn't, you know, that that type of stuff. Um, I need to give up arguing, and I have. Because of that, I have a happy home life. I have a happy work life. I have a happy life. I have a, I have a beautiful life. Um, I graduated from college. I've, gotten, I've grown up in AA, and it was because of this step. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.